Welcome to the Gospel to Gillette podcast. I'm your host, Nick White. In this episode, we speak with Pastor Toby Holt from the Harvest Presbyterian Church, Pastor Matt Melton, currently with the Vineyard Christian Fellowship Church, Pastor Philip Jones with the Roadway Alliance Church, Pastor Ed Sisti with the Sunrise Worship Center Church, Pastor Terry Vigil with the New Day Family Church, and Pastor Don White with Calvary Community Church. The topics for our podcast include what is the gospel to Gillette, what is the gospel, and what would happen when more people accept the gospel in Gillette. If you have any questions or comments, please visit gospeltogillette.org. So what is the gospel to Gillette? This is an opportunity by uh, bringing together people, whether it's pastors or whether it's believers from different congregations, this is an opportunity for each of us to declare uh, what we place our trust and our confidence in for the future. And it's an opportunity not only to glorify and magnify God, but also to, to reach out to the lost and the hurting in Gillette, uh, to seek and save those who don't know him, don't know what the gospel is. So in coming together in this way, using this gospel to Gillette as, as a tool really to uh, to, to leverage the gifts God has given throughout the, the body here in Gillette, uh, we're able to fulfill the mandates that we've been given, glorifying Christ and saving others. So is this part of a church denomination? If not, uh, what is the advantage of getting churches together for this outreach? The advantage of what we're doing here is that it's moving away from the segregation that has been characterized in Gillette because, again, when the People who don't know the Lord, they see all the churches. They don't understand why we exist differently. So they don't understand the segregation, whereas this is a way where we can say we're promoting the gospel, not promoting any one church. Lots of churches are being promoted together uh, on the gospel2gillette.org website, which we should mention. People can check that out while we're discussing this. But uh, people don't understand, excuse me, they don't understand why we have separate churches. Uh, And we're not going to be able to solve all of that by this group. But what we will show the people is that several churches can get together for the sake of the gospel and not promote any one church, but promote several churches together, but primarily to promote the gospel. And I think that's probably what's unique and different about this. So we're promoting the, the, the cornerstone of Christ and not necessarily the institution of any one individual congregation. I also think it's interesting that um, when we send a missionary overseas, the premises is, premise is always what other ministries are happening, where you're going, and how can you partner alongside of them. And it's been that way for quite a while in missions organizations where there's tons of partnering going on. You don't reinvent the wheel when you go into a new area. You see what's happening and you partner. And so you'll have three or four or five denominations all working together, but when you come home, it's non-existent. Why is that? That this is unique. This shouldn't be unique in any way, shape, or form. This is what's happening on the missions field, and Gillette is a missions field. Mm-hmm. What are the objectives to Gospel to Gillette? When we think about the city of Gillette, um, about two-thirds of the town are not religious, are not Christian, are not even interested in 
the things of God. So we think of Gillette and we think of it as a mission field. I mean, America is rapidly becoming that way uh, as opposed to Korea or China or you know places in Latin America where the gospel is really taking off and growing exponentially. Uh, in Gillette, I think you see you know churches that are closing down, uh, ministries that have been tried and have failed, and you see church planters coming in Gillette and, and seeing you know that the harvest is ripe here. So I think there's a, a movement among people in ministry to say we're for Gillette, we're for the city, we're for the health of the city, um, and we're also for Jesus Christ, and uh, He's the hope of the city. Okay, since you guys are having um, churches come together for the gospel. Maybe you could explain what the gospel is. When you talk about what the gospel is, it doesn't hurt, of course, to go straight to Jesus. Yeah. But then Paul yeah. might be a good choice. First Corinthians 15, mm-hmm. he says, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. And he gets down to verse 3, and he actually tells you what it is. For I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he basically says, my goal is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when we start preaching other things and other messages, we get lost in what the gospel message is. It's simple. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Glory. I think uh, it would be good to discuss just briefly because people saw the Passion movie, and when we read Christ crucified, maybe somebody listening might say, "Well, why was he crucified? And what? Why do I need to believe that? What is my condition prior to that?" Well, the, the way that uh, Gospel to Gillette has addressed this through the, the tracks that we hang out, the, uh, the door hangers, the website, and so forth, is we've boiled it down to the fact that uh, unsaved, unregenerate man has a problem. And the problem is that he stands under the wrath of God. Uh, all men have sinned. Uh, all men deserve death. And that is the, the nature of their problem. And if God is good... And more to the point, if he is just, then he must judge sin. And he will judge sin. And you see throughout Scripture that that is a, is a promise um, uh, uh, both for those who have gone before us, uh, those of our day, and those yet to come. So the question we have, the great question of Scripture is this. How can God be just and yet be the justifier of the wicked. How can he be a just God and yet be the justifier of fallen men and women who have sinned infinitely uh, in an infinite measure and infinite quantity? Well, God has addressed our problem through the person and work of Jesus Christ. By what Christ did on the cross, our sins were imputed to him and his righteousness was granted to us. And so, if the day comes when we approach, approach heaven, and if we were asked the question, if we ask the question, why do you deserve to come in? There's only one answer, uh, and that is that it's a trick question because I don't deserve to get in. There's nothing about me, in me, uh, that uh, gives, grants me any merit by which I can go through these uh, doors. The only merit that counts, the only works that counts, is the work of Christ on the cross. And to the degree that I profess the name of Christ, to the degree that I believe in a risen, a crucified and a risen Christ as, the, as the, the propitiation, the ransom for my sin, 
sins. Uh, to the degree I do that, then I can stand before a holy God. I can stand before Him justified. And so the gospel, at least, at least in my eyes, a declaration of that good news. Well, I was going to read something out of Luke 4, uh, where Jesus is in Nazareth, and uh, he's beginning to share his mission, you know, who he is and what his mission is. And he says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim uh, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I think that that whole idea of good news jumps out. He's come to bring the good news. And the good news is kind of a, it's not advice. You know, it's news that something's been done. Uh, that we don't have to do, 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 but something's been done. It's it's taken care of. It's finished. And that's when you, when you look at the cross and resurrection, you realize that he died for my sin. Uh, he died the death I should have died. And then he lives the life I should have lived. That, that's the gospel. Is that it's all been done. It's all been taken care of. And now we join. We receive that. And then we're justified, redeemed, restored, reclaimed. All the things that we really need. You might want to add something to that. The, uh, the thoughts of the other men at the table. Well, it's a message uh, that God gave to us. God presented to us of what His Son Jesus did for us. Uh, growing up, uh, I didn't have a hard life. I had a, you know, relatively easy life. Um, you know, I wasn't addicted to anything except myself, which is probably the hardest addiction in the world. And so, consequently, uh, I was a miserable person growing up, even though I had just about everything I needed and so forth. So, when I heard the gospel message. It even it spoke even to my heart that uh, th- there were changes that needed to be made in my life that only God could do. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do them myself. Only the Lord could do that. And by dying on a cross, He established a way where I could be forgiven and I could be empowered mm-hmm. to do the things that I could never do before. And so it was an awesome message to me that I just grabbed hold of and made part of my life. So why does Gillette need the gospel? I think all of us around this table, we see a need here. Mm. We see the culture teaching Mm. a people how to have a better life, and they don't have a better life. They don't. The quality of life just isn't there. And and we know the message of the gospel, and from reading the Bible for years, the the benefit that it brings to people, and Mm. uh, the the wholeness that Mm. it brings to people. Mm And it's just in, contained in the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And so, yeah, the culture, the, the culture is trying to teach people. The culture is trying to help people, but they're failing miserably. And the message of the gospel is what people truly need. Okay, so what if I feel that I don't need the gospel because I'm satisfied with my life the way it is? Our job is not to necessarily lead people to salvation our job is to present the gospel message Mm -hmm. and let the holy spirit do his work of conviction that leads people to salvation so whether you counter arguments or not for and against the gospel it's irrelevant we've been called to a job and we need to do that job when you look at just the town itself we're being called to 
is the divorce rate here high or low? High. It's horrifically high. Yeah. Um, is, is the is the uh, crime rate here high or low? Generally speaking, for a town this size, it's getting higher. Are the schools filled with kids who are happy or, or dysfunctionally sad because their homes are falling apart? My wife works in a school. <laughs> she has a story every day. It's, it's horrible. And so the consequences of sin are, are rampant and evident. The gospel needs to be teached and taught and brought to this people. Yeah, I think the... The gospel to a lot of people in a pagan culture, and we can't assume in Gillette even that everybody understands the gospel, is probably irrelevant to them because it's unknown. Mm-hmm. And when we think about people go into a jewelry store today and say, I want to cross the one with the little man on it, <laughs> tells us that people know more about jewelry than they do with the meaning of the jewelry they're wearing. And I think that Gillette is becoming more and more because of the melting pot environment that we have in Gillette, I think we're seeing more and more of this generationally as well as just in the community itself, that people don't know what the gospel is, and it's our job to present it. Well, for a lot of folks, Christ has just become a hedge. It's, it's like a you know a, a lucky rabbit's foot, uh, a name that you shout out when things are dark, and uh, and that's about it. That's what it, you know their understanding of Christ boils down to. And at the end of the day, if you ask those same people the question of uh, you know on what basis will you ever be found acceptable before God. <laughs> They'll put Christ back on the shelf and they'll point back to their own works and such. So Christ uh, drifts in and out of people's theology, in and out of people's lives, and in and out of people's thoughts on the basis of, of like your necklace analogy. It's just uh, something that's vaguely religious that helps out when uh, things are somewhat dark. But you'd ask the you'd ask the question of if there's let's say there's some guy who thinks going well in his life, you know, he's rich or prosperous or whatnot, and he says, well, what's the need for Christ? Because everything's going going pretty well. Well, the, the thought I would have to that is anyone who says that is saying that I take my satisfaction fully out of what I find in the created realm. And in this case, in the created realm, I found riches and prosperity and my health is good and so forth. Yeah, and that's what that is, is again, that takes the Creator, puts Him on the shelf, and that just emphasizes what He has made and our satisfaction in that. But ultimately, we'll never be satisfied in what God has made apart from He who made it. You know, if you were to, if you were to give someone, if, if, if you were to give someone all of heaven, and everything that's in it, all the all the pleasures, all, all the the, the uh, privileges of heaven, everything that's within heaven. But there is no God. That's with the catch. If they got heaven, but there is no God. Well, a lot of people, that's what they're looking for anyway, but that's a different story. But if you gave someone heaven, but there is no God, ultimately, they might spend centuries upon centuries upon centuries enjoying everything that they found there. And they might spend untold ages enjoying everything that exists within heaven. But ultimately, they would grow bored. And even further beyond that, they would just desire death. And the reason is because we're not made to be fulfilled by what we find in the created realm, but only by the Creator. If, if you if you go to heaven tomorrow and you see the streets of gold, you're going to say, all right, streets of gold, this is awesome. I read about this. This is the streets of gold. I'm going to walk down this with a big smile on my face. Streets of gold. The next day you do the same thing. You say, oh, this is great. You know, Streets of gold. I can't believe this. Well, how long does that last? Are you going to be in heaven a week before the streets of gold aren't as big a deal, a month? 
a year, ten years. I mean, you know, it won't be too long before the streets of gold are not going to be have any more value to you than the asphalt that you know we drove in on this morning. So that's an example. There's nothing you can have in your life that will ultimately satisfy you apart from God. Because you can know the totality of the created realm given enough time, but you'll never know the totality of God. His, the, 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 the whole point of heaven, the whole thing that makes it so awesome is that every day God's blessings, His mercies are, are they're new every morning. You'll never get to a point where you can wrap your, your arms around the totality of God and say, I, I've got them figured out. It'll never happen. And that's what makes heaven so wonderful wonderful is that uh, we'll spend all of eternity learning more about God, pursuing Him all the more, and uh, we can't say anything like that, even remotely like that, about what we find in creation. Okay, what if someone says that they already have a God or religion that's satisfying to them, and they don't need the gospel? Well, the simple answer, Jesus said in John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, that's disputed by people that of other religions because they say, well, that's sort of a, that's a circular argument. You guys can say that because you have a holy book that claims that. But at the end of the day, when, when I was a kid, my dad would take me out driving on all the gravel roads. And he knew where all these roads went because he'd been in the community for many, many years. And he'd always tell me, he had a unique thing of saying, well, this road ends up in Henry. There's a town called Henry, South Dakota. I suppose it was a guy named Henry at, Henry at some point, but he knew where all the roads ended up. And the question one needs to ask whenever they ascribe to a certain religion is, where does this road that I'm on end up? And Christianity is the only positive solution to that. Christianity has the only positive destination. Now, again, our job is to, con- to convince people of the argument, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw them to the truth of that argument. But we still need to be out there in the arena presenting the argument. But So we would say that Christianity is the only way because Jesus Christ said that. And so, But we also should encourage people to examine the claims of their own religion as to its validity and then ask, in the end, is this, is, you know, what, where is this road going to end for you? I think one thing I hear when I talk to people around Gillette is, uh, you know, the last thing we need is a bunch, you know, a bunch more fundamentalism and a bunch more people saying, oh, we have the truth. You need the truth that we have. We're right. And you're wrong. And I heard, uh, Kathy Keller say it this way, you know, fundamentalist, the whole idea of fundamentalism is, is not to be afraid, you not to be afraid of that because it depends on what the fundamental is. If your fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, laying down his life for others, pouring himself out for the sake of other people, then that's what the world needs. And so what we're saying with the gospel is enter into what the, what the world needs. God, Gillette needs this good news. Yes. There's one other problem with the argument that uh, you're okay as you are, and uh, you don't really need the gospel message, you'll find your own solution, your own answer. Uh, kind of an Oprah Winfrey approach. You'll just kind of cobble it together as you go along, uh, week by week. And that is this this ultimately a denial of my our condition, my condition, our condition, where Scripture makes it clear that there is none who are righteous, not one. 
and people ultimately think that they are righteous and that they don't really need God. And that's the fundamental difference between every religion and Christianity is Christianity says, though you are fundamentally flawed, you are, you are born in sin and you are going to reap the rewards of that sin. There is no other way out. It's Jesus and Jesus crucified, resurrected on the third day. And uh, finding your solution in him is the only solution there is. Every other religion will point you some other direction, but ultimately there's not that fatal flaw that uh, we can ascribe to. And I've had people argue that point with me, but it's so easy to prove that we're fatally flawed from birth all you have to do is get a room full of two-year-olds, and they're going to start wailing on each other, hitting each other, stealing from each other, crying at each other, because they're fatally flawed. They're, they're little narcissistic beings from birth. And that's just who we are as people. And for some reason, by the time we get to adulthood, we're in denial about that. No, I'm okay. I don't need religion. I don't need anything that doesn't suit me. I'm fine. And ultimately the gospel says you're not fine. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd phrase the question, or your, your last question along the lines of, well, what about the person who says, you got your gospel, I've got you know my set of beliefs, and perhaps it's in a different God or a different variety of Jesus or what have you. Well, at the end of the day, the person who's trying to ask you, I mean, apologetically speaking, the person who's trying to, to, to bring you into, who gives you a presupposition that their worldview is based around, uh, at the end of the day, I don't care. My objective is not to try to work them through their their own logic to get to, to Christ. My job is to present the gospel to someone. Uh, from my vantage point, the, the idea is to just keep hitting the highlights. This is the problem you've got. This is the solution that that, that uh, God has provided for that through the person and work of Christ. And regardless of what worldview they, they come into that having, at the end of the day, that message, that's the, the tip of the spear. That is the power of God. The power of God on salvation is the confession of the gospel. I think when you look around Gillette or you talk with people, um, you don't hear a lot of people trying other religions. It's more of a self-salvation kind of a project that they're putting together. So rather than looking to Jesus for salvation, they're going to look to their own kind of self-salvation. And, and it, well, and everybody worships something, right? If you don't worship God, you're going to worship money, sex, power, status, your family, your spouse, your kids. And you see that in Gillette. So if you build your life on anything but the truth of the gospel, you end up being disappointed. Yeah. You know. Well, I think what we're challenging people to do is to make sure that what they believe is right. Because there's some things that I can be wrong about, and it's not a big deal. If I go out the door before my wife checks whether my clothes match or not, I can be wrong about that, but it's not a life-changing, life-threatening issue. However, if, say, I drink cyanide or something like that because I just don't pay attention to what's in what I'm drinking, that being wrong about that is much more serious than whether my clothes match. So what we're saying is what we believe about who we put our trust in is one of those life issues that I have to be right about. So we're challenging people, if you believe you're right, make sure that you're right. And that's why we're presenting the gospel, because we believe it is the power of God and the salvation and that it is right. So what are the effects of the gospel once it's presented to a person? 
Well, the effects of it is every, everything is everything is different. You come into an understanding of why you were created, mm-hmm. why you were brought here on this earth, uh, and, and that in itself brings a, a wholeness where you were empty at one point. Now you're now you're fulfilled because your fulfillment, as Matt was saying, is not in having a, a toy for every season of the year to go out and play on. Uh, you know, that's the, that could be fun. I can enjoy that myself personally, but there, there has to be some kind of inner fulfillment that we were designed to have. And that's only in knowing, it, it's only in knowing Jesus Christ uh, as your Lord and Savior. There, there's no fulfillment in this world like that. And when a person does receive the gospel... That's why the gospel to Gillette is so important. When a person receives the gospel, they be, they become fulfilled because their fulfillment really, truly is only in God as, as a created being. I think you could also say, you know, the good news of the gospel transforms you from the inside out, not from the outside in. And if you want to see a city changed, where people love each other, where they love their enemies, where there's joy, where there's a unity, where there's, you know all these things we want, well, how, how are we going to get those things? It's only going to come through transformation. And who's the one who can transform your heart? Only Jesus Christ. I mean, he works from the inside out. And I think it answers that question that everybody has is, is there more to life than this? Is there more? And once you receive Christ, then you see that life is more than just these few years that we spend on earth, but it's a relationship throughout eternity that we've, we've gotten into there. So um, I think that's a, a big change that it makes in people's lives is that it answers that question. There is more than just accumulating goods or, or having big families or having big houses. Um, it takes you beyond that point into things of eternity. And Toby said it before that it's uh, what part of the, the job is just glorifying God. And be, without Christ, you're not glorifying God. And so it's a completely different thing to, to live a life that's glorifying to God. And just at the most fundamental basic level, you are now in relationship with the Lord. Talk about a world change from being an enemy of God to becoming the family of God. Yeah. That's a life-changing event. Yeah. That can be a society-changing event. Mm. And it should. The, the, the person who has been saved should and will live a life that is substantively different than what they were at when they were still at enmity with God. You know, the, the, the analogy, you, if you walk past a, a grave site, you know, if you're just walking past a grave you know, down the street and all of a sudden a corpse pops up and starts walking and dancing, it should shock you. That is the sort of change in someone's spiritual state. Someone goes from a position of being spiritually dead. They're dead in their sins and their trespasses. They're unable to please God. They have no, uh, cl- no, there's no righteousness in them and no claim to Christ's righteousness until such time as they're changed. But after that point, they're enabled and persuaded to embrace Christ. They're sanctified. That's the process by which you're changed and the process by which you're brought into conformance uh, with Christ. Now, there are people out there who will um, profess the Lord's name and don't live lives like that. And when when and where that's the case, there should be a lot of introspection as to whether they're saved in the first place. Because Scripture absolutely tells us that the proof 
that anyone's ever repented and come unto faith is that they continue to repent. They continue to profess the faith, and ever more so than when they first started. And they're much more aggrieved by their sins and years later than they were the moment that they first placed their trust in Christ. So there is, it's, the gospel saves us. It saves us from, from the, the guilt of sin, but it continues to save us from the pollution of sin. Okay. What will be the broader effects of the gospel once it starts affecting more individuals in Gillette? Well, I think we're, we're going to see um, we're going to see a city transformed, uh, basically, and, and that can happen. You asked in the beginning about pastors coming together, and I think that's that's key and critical uh, to see uh, rather than just a few people come to know Jesus to see. A large group of people in the city come to know Jesus. So the effect of, of, of the ministers and the pastors coming together and preaching the gospel together, not to make their, necessarily to make their name bigger or whatever, but to, to get the name of Jesus where it needs to be, high and exalted above every single name. And as the city begins to really espouse that, then the whole city becomes transformed and the lives are changed. And that's documented uh, all over the world, that when ministers and ministries have come together, the city starts to become transformed and changed. When we as pastors first had our, our initial conversations about Gospel of Gillette, uh, what was brought up scripturally was the, in, in Acts 5 when you know, Peter and the, and the apostles, they're, they're, they're preaching in the temple, uh, they're thrown in jail, an angel frees them, they're right back in the temple. Well, then the high priest, the council, they're very upset, they're irate that these guys continue to, to do what they've been told not to, and in fact they're in prison and they're back doing it again. So they call them in front of the council, and the accusation of, of the high priest was, was, look, you're filling the city with your gospel, with your teaching. That's it. Let, you know, let it be so of us. What a, what a, what a great, what he meant as a condemnation is, is the greatest accolade that any of us or all of us cumulatively could have to fill the city with the gospel. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, go to gospeltogillette.org. That's gospeltogillette.org. Be listening for future podcasts. This podcast is a production of KLWD Radio.